Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio. Today on Dispatches from the Burge, David Morrison and I sit down to explore this idea of creativity overlapped with uh, spirituality and this idea of uh, mysticism or the mystical bubbling to the surface and embracing your authentic self within that process or during that process. But before we get into that, thank you to Diego at Recording Moving Studios. He does all the editing and sound engineering. Uh, What you hear in the background, that's Monk Drums. Thank you, Jacob Nedia. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, check out theruined.com. You can also find more of our episodes of Desert Rain Community Radio, not only Dispatches from the Verge, but Road to Desert Rain at drcrpod.com. If you enjoy what you hear, what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media always helps us. We appreciate you, and let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. David Morrison. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm okay. I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Dispatches from the Verge. We're back at it. Road to Desert Rain has come back. Thank you for everyone tuning in to that episode a few weeks back. And today, we are going to look at, we're kind of starting with a broad broad umbrella and see where it goes, see where it trickles down to. But this idea of uh, where creativity and spirituality meets, um, a poetic uh, Christianity, um, sort of this idea of, uh, and I don't know if we'll get to this part, but a abundance or um, what was the other word? Uh, I think we mentioned scarcity. Abundance and scarcity around um, creativity within an individual, Um, or I guess even within a community. Yeah. Anyways, that's a lot. So mindset. um, Yeah. Yeah. So I I guess I guess the place that I I would start with you is is sort of in your early days, whether it was in the the Catholic Church or sort of in your high school years when you made the the shift. What what did was there any sort of creativity mixed in with your your um, religion or spirituality? Creativity, as far as just a in a connection between the two, and if not as a kid, like when when did that really yeah. come through for you? I, I guess when you say creativity and spirituality, I think of mysticism. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me, and in the Catholic, at least my Catholic experience, it was the mystics are those people in dusty books. Oh, that's that's for the past. Yeah, okay. or they're the saints, and they're and so we make the saints so unattainable and inaccessible. Uh, you know, it's there's no, and we've done that in America with Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, as well. well. And I mean, I, I would. There's a whole list, right? George Washington. Yeah, yeah. Martin Luther King Jr. Like any of these. Uh, Iconic well, figures. Well, his is is apt because uh, if if I could deify him, if I can deify Martin Luther King Jr., put him in an inaccessible sainthood, then I don't have to really deal with my own uh, racism mm-hmm. and my and my participation in the structures of of power and racism. 
See, I could just do Martin Luther King Jr. Day on my social media, put up some quotes, right. and feel good about myself. And, and, go, about know, you, and go about your and, life. And proclaim that racism is over. Yeah. There are no structural you know, things in society uh, in place. So, so anyway, so yeah, so mysticism, which would be the direct experience of the divine, which is usually expressed through, through poetic prayers, visions, which is imagination, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, imagery, um, that sort of thing. And so, so I guess growing up, the, the attitude was, that's not for us. That's, that's something in the past. You know? And that was within the Catholic context. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the things, and this kind of connects with the, with the Catholic thing, but I can always remember, well, not always. So it, it's two things. It's one, all the statues that would be around. So the two churches I went, I went to growing up was, there wasn't a basilica at the time, but the Basilica and Old Messiah. And then there's uh, Holy Cross Parish in Las Cruces. And I always thought it was weird that there were so many statues around. Cause in my mind, that was like this don't worship idols. Yeah. You know, but I can also remember, and this has stayed with me, how captivating stained glass windows mm. in Catholic churches are. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm still to this day blown away with how, uh, there's something about it that that just inside stirs yeah. me, and I and I can remember that as a little kid, and I, as a little kid, I couldn't explain it, right? Right. Um, and so, how does how does the how does one grapple with that, as far as uh, that sort of negative side of like, oh, we don't worship idols, but also yeah. like the nest. The, in my opinion, the necessity for beauty. Yeah, I I, th- I think there's something to a numinous space. I think uh, uh, I think Bill Helm is going to talk about that. Yeah, we, he he should be. That episode should be releasing probably within the month of this release. Yeah, I don't have the exact dates. So probably in all the traditions of the world religions, there's this you know sense of sacred geometry. Mm. you know, meaningful, uh, uh, symbolic geometry. So they build the you know, buildings a certain way. I have a respect for that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I also see the icon class people who would say, yeah, those, uh, the Renaissance cathedrals were built off the backs of the Central America and slavery right. and you right. know, that, kind which of is thing. true too. And yeah, so it's, so there is that. And, and yeah, and there are those that, that have, uh, very much against the veneration of icons or statues and that kind of stuff. Uh, and I see their point mm-hmm. in that, but I also see, like you said, it's a, it's a powerful experience to sit down at a place, particularly if it's really old mm-hmm. and, uh, and get that sense of, of the ancient uh, pouring into the now it's, it's a, that's a creative experience. You know, and it's a, and they created a creative space, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, for that to happen. And so going, so it's we're kind of starting out all over the place. But to go <laughs> back to the point you started with, slipping and a sliding was uh, as far as the the mystics being in the dusty old books, right? Yeah, yeah. Can you remember when, in your own experience, the mystics no longer were just in the books, and you realized that it 
it was appropriate for the here and now? Yeah, well, I had the, an internal world of mm-hmm. spirituality going on, but I didn't have the words to really say it. You know, I, I think in our first podcast, I think I talk about the this vision of the sacred heart that I had. Well, if you could recap. 12. Yeah, recap it a little bit. You know, I wasn't, there was nothing, I wasn't feeling particularly holy. I was a 12-year-old who we would, in those days, we would catch the last mass before inflicting a mortal sin upon our souls. Uh, so we'd go to a Sunday night mass, right. the last one, you know, of the day. And uh, to fulfill our Sunday obligation, Catholics know what I'm talking about. Uh, some days it was double jeopardy. A Sunday would come on a Christmas Eve and you had to go twice. That made that. That made me want to go to church a lot. Keep your uh, uh, keep your gold stars on yeah. St. Peter's board up to date. But yeah, so I had gone up to communion like I always did, but that particular night, I, you know, like I said, there was my mind wasn't particularly on holy matters or right, anything. Right, right, right. So I was doing the thing, just doing the ritual. It wasn't like you'd been fasting for a week or <laughs> no, in silent <nothing>. meditation. <laughs> no, I was probably pissed because I was missing the wonderful world of Disney. <laughs> Or the Muppet Show, or something, and um, and so anyway, uh, so I go up, yeah, I go up for communion, and you know, in those days they had kneelers. I don't think, I don't remember if they have those anymore. You'd go up and kneel, and the priest would serve you. Yeah, when uh, I by the I, time I old school. Yeah, by the time I started going or getting communion, I guess the early nineties, late eighties. Yeah, we would just walk up to the priest. Yeah, so. But when he when he served me the host, uh, you know, it said body of Christ. I had a an interior vision, but it looked like it felt very much like I was seeing it with my external eyes. Mm. Uh, it was everything stood still, uh, and it was a vision of Christ, and uh, fire was moving from the Sacred Heart. It was just like the one that you see all over the Southwest, mm-hmm. Mexico. Uh, and uh, the fire would go went up through his eyes and into my eyes and then shot down into my own chest, my own heart, and exploded there. Um, and I was just changed. But I had no language. You know, I didn't sit down. I didn't even have language to say what happened until maybe five years later. Okay. Or more. When I, when I found present-day mystics who are charismatics and Pentecostals, they accept mm. these kinds of things. It's it's part of the. So I was able to explore those things with, with this charismatic vi, uh, the Vineyard right. uh, group, uh, and and not be, uh, you know. I mean, it was suspicious to them because it was it took place in a Catholic right, context, of course, of course. <laughs> and they don't like the Catholics because of the statues, <laughs> and, uh, the statues, and many other issues. Uh, but they but they could accept spiritual phenomenon. They were they were open minded to listen to the phenomenon side of it, right? Whereas probably the Catholics, well, maybe today, but yeah. back then would, would I feel it might have been in certain circles would it would have been like poo pooed, right? I mentioned it to a priest a couple of years ago. We were doing a group, and he was in the group, mm. an Illumin group, and and he was just quick to point out that the name of the church we were meeting in was Sacred Heart. Mm. So he wanted some points for that, I guess. And, right, of course. <laughs> and so I threw him a bone. I said, yeah, some of my relatives in the past, early 1900s, were baptized in this church, you know, uh, late 1800s. And so, uh, yeah, so <laughs> there's that. 
Uh, I forgot where we're going with that. Just uh, how this idea of mysticism or the mystics jumped from just being in the oh, being yeah, in yeah, the dusty yeah, yeah. old books, yeah. and actually for you, you're able to see that it, it's also yeah. in the here and now. Yeah, and and the criticism probably still is amongst. So Vineyard, uh, at that time in the 80s and 90s, saw itself as the common bridge between Pentecostal experience and evangelical uh, intellectual. That's, a, that's an oxymoron these days with them. But, uh, but with a more uh, cerebral faith, mm. a more reasoned faith, uh, as opposed to an experienced faith. And so they would be accused... You know, usually when you try to do a, a, the radical middle, you get you get ostracized uh, and stuff. pot shots from everyone. Yeah, yeah. you end up, uh, and so that was kind of the vineyards take then. Uh, but my as a seventeen year old, I was like, why? Why would you want to have a faith that you don't experience? Mm-hmm. Why would you want to? Yeah, I, I just uh, just didn't make sense to me. Why? Right. Why do I want a faith and a, you know and believe a set of things about God when I could know God. Right. I felt like knowing God is the point of the whole thing. I mean, I've, and I still feel that way. And so I was very, you know, because I was a teenager, I was, I was pretty open about, the, or in your, in your face. Of course, we're experiential Christianity. Because mm-hmm. that was a dirty word amongst mm-hmm. Christians. Experiential Christianity. And I'd be like, oh, so you don't want to experience God? What? So, you know. and Because the counterpoint would be that God is... God is in the Bible. Right. Or yeah. God is in the Eucharist. Or yeah. God is in you know, and, and that's what you see in writing of scriptures, whether it's uh the Jewish scriptures, the Christian scriptures, uh the sutras in mm-hmm. Buddhism. Uh a little less so because Buddhism has another emphasis. Uh uh the other one I'll say, uh the Quran. Uh so so someone has a spiritual direct experience with the divine. They write that experience down, and then years and years and years passed, uh, pass by, and then it becomes a scripture. Mm. And, the, and it's our way of controlling it. It's our way of, it's, a, it's the ego, the collective ego, uh, trying to control the wildness of divine life, because it's a wild thing. Well, I think, too, making it right and wrong, right? Like you're the yeah, one on yeah, moralizing it. Things. Yeah. And, you know, and they would, they would give you horror stories, you know, well, if you're just out there experiencing things, you know, you could get demon possessed, uh, that kind of thing. And, and so, you know, and that's a real thing to them. That's a very, yeah. So, um, and they tell stories about, you know, people that leave the church, you know, uh, and stop tithing. They're going to, their life will fall apart if you leave us. And that's cultic mentality. I I remember someone, uh, I don't remember the exact context for the conversation, but somehow, transcendental meditation mm-hmm. came up and they uh, explained to me how they had witnessed someone become demon possessed oh, yeah, yeah. during transcendental meditation. Yeah. Um, be- you know, because the, that, you know, TM for short doesn't fall in within their Christian right, beliefs right. or their Christian practice or however, you know, however yeah. you to frame it. And it was just, it was very interesting. It's like, wait, you've never tried Transcendent, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, wait, wait. So you, <laughs> they're like, no, because I witnessed it. <laughs> right, exactly. And the whole thing's what ridiculous because the proponents, the super proponents of that, will will claim, oh yeah, people levitate. And really, where's yeah, yeah, where's right. that on YouTube? <laughs> I haven't yeah, seen yeah. someone levitate. 
uh, when you show me that, show me also your uh, video of uh, Bigfoot. Uh, and then, yeah, and then you have the other extreme of, right. uh, yeah, this, of course. this demon, uh, you know, uh, entered this person and he, and, and these uh, two dogs next to him and they chased down an accountant down uh, in New York City and they had to call the Ghostbusters. Uh, it's, I don't know if you saw that documentary, uh, the Ghostbusters. Times. Yeah, it's an 80s documentary. So anyway, yeah, so you have these two extremes. And and my experience with it is, yeah, just try to empty your mind. You can't. You're, we're addicted to thinking. We're human beings. And, and thought uh, is, ca- you cannot empty your mind. That It doesn't work that way at all. Yeah, you can uh, only re- refocus it. Exactly. On something besides yeah. thinking. Um. So, through through this journey of of reading about the mystics, um, and I know we didn't talk about that during this episode, but you've you've shared on other episodes, you know, finding a, in one of your classes, there's oh, a book yeah, on yeah. mystics you would yeah. you would reread, um, and then sort of this path to uh, an acceptance around exper- your experience with the divine, yeah. Um, how did how has that translated or has it translated into um, your creative side or your wild side? Yeah. Um, I, I, this I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw this out there, but I know you've you've uh, told a really good story recently, and I don't think it was on the podcast with your reoccurring dream with the tiger. Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That might have be we talked really, about that here? I don't know. I don't think we've talked about the last part. Okay. The most recent part that you, yeah, sh- you shared was, about a month ago on a Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think we've shared the first part. But even if we have, let's because I think that kind of comes full circle with what what we're conversing. Yeah, about. that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah very yeah. good. Yeah. So I've had a I had a recurring dream from my teenage years. I'm in my early fifties now. Uh, that's pretty old. <laughs> it's a and long- for the record, <laughs> I talked about my dad having a stroke at a really old age in his late fifties. I'm like, well, I'm almost there, <laughs> David. I, I heard David's feelings. It's <laughs> like, well, yeah. I, I mean, I can't, I can't argue. It's like a bald man saying, "I'm not bald." <laughs> uh, well, my point was more about the difference in age between my dad because I thought I was having a stroke the other day, and luckily, I don't think I. Was. It's amazing how much stuff we can talk ourselves into, <laughs> right? Talk yourself into my, atheism. My, my heart yourself. rate's at 103 right now. Oh, man. <laughs> Mine's 80, 89. Anyway, so you're reading. So, yeah. Time. So, from my teenage years, I, I would have fairly regularly this dream of a tiger. Uh, and it was, it was a strange. Sometimes it would talk. Sometimes it would. Uh, it wasn't Tony the Tiger. It wasn't a friendly tiger. And it wasn't that. Uh, it wasn't anime. wasn't Hobbes. <laughs> or is it Calvin? I forget which one's the tiger. <laughs> uh, I always forget that one too. It wasn't Calvin and Hobbes. It wasn't, you know, it was, it had the body of a, a real tiger. It was massive. And, but it, sometimes it could speak. Other times its eyes would be glowing green. Mm. Uh, other times it, it uh, um, I don't know how I, I just, you know, you know, things in dreams. It had a human brain okay. inside of it. And, uh, and so often, so in my teenage years, early twenties, the dream would usually be something like the tiger would jump on me. I would feel its claws digging into my shoulder about to pierce the skin. Mm-hmm. And, 
And then I would uh, say something like, I render you powerless in the name of Jesus. And, uh, you would actually say that? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, the, that's how the charismatics, and the more you emphasis on the end of Jesus, <laughs> the more powerful it is. You know? Jesus. And the tiger would recruit. They're great. <laughs> oh, and so, and then the claws would disintegrate. Oh, wow. Blow up when I'd say that, and then the tiger would run away. Uh, and so that it was usually something like that, uh, you know, along those lines, the, the and, recurring dream. And then, not that it's that important, but do you, was it like monthly? Uh, probably a couple times a year. Yeah, like, a couple times a year okay. kind of dream. So enough to to recognize it over yeah, the years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I don't know. My my older brother had in the seventies in his room uh, two paintings of of two tigers. I don't know. Was it the velvet ones? Yes, they were actually. <laughs> yes. yeah. Is that is that a thing? Yeah, I knew the Elvis and the Jesus. Was I have a, a thing. velvet Jesus somewhere. I need to find it. <laughs> but I didn't know there was a velvet tiger. But yeah, yeah, the background's kind of dark. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he had two of those. Uh, so maybe you know, maybe it scared me when I was a kid. I, you know, there's a lot of Jungian uh, stuff going on there, right? And so, so then, yeah. So about maybe a year ago, uh, maybe more, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, had the dream again, and this time I, I wounded this tiger. I had a gun, mm. a rifle, and I wounded it, and it was lying on the on the grass, uh, you know, where we the lawn right and and it was weird i knew it had a human brain in it i i don't it was like i don't know how i would know that but you know dreams are just bizarre yeah, that way right yeah, yeah. and so i went right up to it while i was lying there wounded and i and i uh i, I fired the gun into its head a second killed, time yeah totally killed it and so the next day i was like woke up and i was like that's never happened in that recurring dream where i killed it uh so and, just and so, to back up a little bit, so did it play out the same way where he, it it jumped on you, dug its claws into you? Yeah, and yeah, you pretty much. Got the gun. Yeah, okay, pretty much. Yeah, and I always interpreted this is a demonic presence. This is evil. This tiger represents evil, the devil, and it's trying to tempt me or hurt me in some way. That was my interpretation. So this time it was different. Make you though. demon possessed? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> The demon haunted world <laughs> was and meditation, so, as we were taught. Yeah, from the, this present darkness series that taught us more about demons than the Bible. Uh, is that a real thing? Yes, Christian fiction is a big <laughs> What's deal. It called? There's a series of books by an author named Frank Peretti. He was very popular in the uh -huh. 80s and 90s, uh, and it was called This Present Darkness, and it was about spiritual warfare. And these demons that are everywhere are trying to to uh, control society and control you and that kind of thing. The lizard, and, the and lizard people, people conspiracy yeah. theory of four well, years ago. <laughs> it's probably a little more sophisticated than that, but yeah, the, uh, you know what? Yeah. Anyway, alien back, abduction becomes the same. Yeah. yeah. Back to the back to the tiger. Back to the. And so yeah, so I was meditating on the dream, like the next day, and this realization came to me that the person that was being attacked in the dream myself that I thought was me, the, the person who fired the gun into the tiger, it was actually my ego trying mm -hmm. to destroy my creative drive, the wildness of, of uh, 
the wild creativity that's within all of us, uh, which I would also say is the divine spark, if you will, yeah. the image of God that we're created in, uh, the, the what the Quakers would call the inner light, uh, that that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I, <laughs> so it's my ego trying to destroy any creative processes within us. Uh, and so I was really bummed about this, obviously. Well, and I think too, just, just to sort of jump on that point a second, I feel like when we're going into a creative way, you can get ostracized pretty or like yeah. through your friends and families. Cause they don't, people don't want to see people they care about fail at something. Right. So it's like, no, do you should do the safe thing. Do the, yeah. you know what I mean? Whatever. Well, Greg mentioned, I think on the podcast that he was on, that he had looked at, uh, what was it? It was uh, some sort of artificial intelligence program uh, oh, that could, that could determine that. what kind of songs people want to hear. Oh, there's a, right, right, right. That they, they've created, um, uh, software that can generate music that would be, appealing yeah. to to you know to people and and the theory is is that they people don't want to hear something new they react negatively to hearing something new mm. they want to hear the old uh which is you know spiritually spiritually speaking that's like you know and because he he told me about the, the reflection i had given that sunday you know it was kind of out there for most traditional sermons that you would hear right and so you know people want to hear a jesus cheerleading mm -hmm. sermon you know they don't want to hear something new that would challenge them that's that's our default mode and so the right. ego is that control mechanism that we have so not only is it outside of us it's inside of us uh mm -hmm. we are working against our egos are working overtime to prevent any kind of change coming to our lives and it, no it, matter how mundane that change is what i think too as we get older it becomes, I mean, they've done studies where it's, it's even harder to get into yeah. the change. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of spiritual practice needs to be uh, throwing yourself off balance mm. and, and, and trying new things and accepting new. And so, yeah. So after the reflection, you know, I was sad that I killed this tiger, but I also realized if that's the divine creativity within us, it can't be killed. Right. And so... I, uh, so I knew something would come out of my subconscious, another dream of some yeah. sort to reconcile this. And sure enough, a few uh, about a month and a half ago, it did happen. Yeah, before we we get to what the sort of ending of it, but so how did you interpret the tiger digging its claws into you, and what, what was the sort of the prayer or the the thing you would say to it? Uh, I'd render it powerless in the name of Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's using my ego, using religion, okay. using spirituality, to weaponizing uh, it against creativity and uh, against, against the actual divine work in your heart. And so, yeah. Which so, so on to the... So, yeah, so then about a month and a half ago, maybe. Uh, it's been within the last two months for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, uh, I had a dream that a very large tiger had me in its paws and was licking the side of my head. And I could feel, it was very tactile, it was very uh, uh, real feeling. Uh, my wife might have been licking me. I don't 
And she just like, <laughs> or a coyote <laughs> snuck in <laughs> to your bedroom. The cat, the cat was <laughs> on my on my head, and, and, but it really felt like that rough tongue of a cat, yeah. you know, running against the side of my head. And I was like, it's kitten, and it was just cleaning me, you know. And uh, and I realized that yeah, that well, there's been a peace made within mm-hmm. me a reconciliation for that creativity to not fear uh, that, that creative flow uh, to not fear the, to yes, fear it and not fear it. the wildness of God. You know, I think we've talked about that, right? The tremendous, the uh, you know, you're, you're repelled by the divine presence, uh, terrified of it, but you're also drawn to it at the same time. Um, and so to, you know, to go with that flow. And what, what, so since that dream, have you noticed, um, I guess, specifically in your creative life or maybe, you know, your spiritual practices too, how sort of making that peace subconsciously um, has manifested in your, your day-to-day yeah. or week-to-week sort of? No, I can't say that I've noticed anything. Yeah. Uh, if I did notice it, my ego would attempt to possess it and control yeah, it. And so I haven't really had that happen yet. Uh, like I said, this happens at the dream level mm-hmm. where you're kind of, you know, awake and asleep uh, in that imaginative realm, if you will. Yeah. And so the deep waters. The deep, deep waters. And so what what are some of the, going back, so... You know, you kind of, I think you painted a, a pretty cool picture of like how we can uh, internally tap down that creative spark, yeah, or that creative idea. Um, before we turned on the mics, we talked about how uh, sometimes societally, yeah, the, the creative can be, uh, I don't want to say beat out of us, but encouraged out of us maybe. Yeah, yeah. To to take a safe path or, or to be to fit in, conformed. Yeah. And so, what sort of for you? What what has been some of those cracks in that idea where you have embraced your creative spirit? Um, yeah. In your life, I think for me, it's just being authentic and true to myself, to who I am, and just being me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in every context, and then what happens is, well, let me let me do the reverse. Okay. If if the years I've spent in my formative years, uh, you know, in high school and that kind of thing, we try to be uh, someone that we're not. Right. We try to be anybody else, anybody, <laughs> anybody else but in. myself. Yeah. Because I'm too terrified of myself. I don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. How do you find yourself? Am I a am I a lost child? How do you you know? Well, I feel like I don't even remember that term existing when I was in high school. I, I used to see it in comedy movies. I'm going to go find myself. I remember uh, <laughs> one of the greatest, a great movie with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, uh, and they're in prison. Uh, Willy, uh, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory? No, it's a different one. <laughs> <way. laughs> I'm just joking. I forgot the name of it. Yeah, they're in prison, and they, and they put on a rodeo. And so anyway, they throw Gene Wilder like in isolation for like a year or something and then they open it up and he's like thank you i found myself you know <laughs> i found inner peace and that kind of thing. and i remember seeing that at like 12 or whatever okay. and this is why i'm warped today uh <laughs> and so uh uh now it's going to be bothering me what is the name of that movie 
Uh, anyway, <laughs> Scared Straight, maybe, or I don't. Know. I think that was the HBO series where they. <laughs> Oh, okay, where they try to conform kids again, right? <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, yeah. So there was I saw it in co- comedic kinds of uh, you know context. Uh, but my point is this: is that we spend our early years trying to be someone that we're not, and so then we attract those kinds of people that we're pretending to be into our lives, and it causes chaos. Yeah. In our relationships, uh, and the and the relationships don't last; they're not sustainable. Uh, and they cause us pain eventually. And so, if we would intentionally be ourselves, be authentic people, um, then you'll attract those kinds of people to you, mm. and then you can have an authentic conversation then between two authentic people. Uh, the name of the movie is Stir Crazy. Stir Crazy. That's that's what it was. <laughs> and I, it's not because I remembered it. I looked it up just for the listeners. <laughs> Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder. They're a great comedic team. So your so your your estimation is that these these authentic conversations feed or or, or add to that creative. Spot. Yeah, because you'll start meeting people, and and you you can tell. I hope I hope people listening have had this experience. Uh, but where soul, where your soul is speaking to their soul and their soul is speaking to your mm-hmm. soul, the pain in their life is reaching out to the pain in your life. The joy in their life is, is singing to the pain in, I mean, to the joy in your life. Right. You know, that, like we talked about it with the, the visitation, right? The Elizabeth and mm-hmm. Mary right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and John, the ba- there's this inner, inner communication with, with these kinds of people, uh, and, and what he's referring to is the uh, the Advent series we did, right? Um, yeah, back in December for for any any new listeners, you can go back a, a few weeks and and check out that. Yeah, so then you're living creatively by just being yourself, uh, and so I think it's a simple thing. Um, you know, I, and I I don't know how to speak to people like fashion is a big part of this, maybe not a big part, but it's it plays a role. And there are those, we've all known those people that were very attuned to their fashion. And, and I, I always used to just assume they were fake people. They were just hiding behind mm. something. But actually, they may, a lot of those people might be on a very creative streak and they're just being who they are. And they are these, they're letting their freak flag fly, as the kids say. <laughs> and so I think of like David, stories of David Bowie in the, mm. I think in the mid 60s, he'd walk down a rough neighborhood street. In a dress, a sundress, you know. I mean, you know, it's, and some might say, "Well, that's just psychotic." Uh, you know, you're just trying to draw attention to yourself, and well, maybe. But I think there's a creativity there. Obviously, yeah, yeah. It's David, he's sure. David Bowie. Uh, yeah. You know, he was he was creative enough for Will Ferrell to play him <laughs> in a little sketch. <laughs> well, and I think too. I, well, and I think this goes back to that idea of of society. We love this successful creative, right? But we sort of look down or shun the aspiring creative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it was Brene Brown and her. Uh, what was it? Her because she talks a lot about scarcity in this. We live in a society where you're not enough. Mm. Nothing's ever enough. You you know, and uh, and so in her research, I think she alluded to art, like actual art of drawing and that kind of thing, painting. Uh, kind of gets driven out of us at, uh, at the middle school level. 
Interesting. Because you're too afraid to be vulnerable. You know, doing something creative is a vulnerable act. Extremely, yeah. And so, uh, and you're attacked for it because everyone's afraid of being vulnerable. You see someone else being vulnerable and you're terrified of yourself being vulnerable. You're, they're going to attack you, mock you, make fun of you. Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, even spiritually speaking in my own community, uh, you know, I've, most of the time I've been called a heretic and a, you know, a false teacher and a, you know, a dangerous person, but it's always been behind my back. Mm. They're too afraid to actually just come and have an actual conversation with a real person. Uh, and they know they haven't thought through these things enough mm. themselves. They haven't done the work themselves. Uh, uh, that's been my experience with that. And so, so just, yeah. So they'll, they'll come after you and, uh, but I'm not worried about them anymore. I'm worried about that, the inner ego of my own, uh, the person that's attacking me within, which, which is me. I'm my own worst enemy, you know? Right. And, and so, and the other, and I, I think I would like to illuminate the other side of that, the idea of, of uh, those people that are, what, yeah, whatever you want to call it, talking behind your back. The other side of that coin, as far as this idea of authenticity, this idea of creativity, is having those people that you can be vulnerable with. Yeah. So I had an example this uh, this week. Um, so one of the things that is like has been beaten into me as far as in the recovery context is like this idea of honesty. Yeah. Like trying to be as honest as I possibly can and. I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday night. I got to the end of the day and realized, man, I told, I've told three white lies today. Mm. And one of them stuck out, stuck out because it was a very close friend of mine mm. that, I, that I had. And, and so, you know, it was at the beginning of the week. And all week, it would like every now and then it would bubble up. Like, mm. why are you telling those white lies sort of thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I was, I, part of me was embarrassed to call this guy back and be like, hey, man. I lied to you. And it was about something inconsequential. Yeah, it's frivolous it was frivolous and it was, it was literally I had said I had read something when I hadn't read it. Uh, and you know, and yeah. I read it later in the day, but when I talked to him, it was a lie. <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah, I've read that. And so I called him finally, it, you know, it got to the point where I was like, Yeah, I just I need to face this. You know, and, and I called him Friday morning, told him what it was. We laughed about it, you know what I mean? We we caught up a little bit, but I knew. What I knew once I decided to make that phone call, because I, I think I'd made it Thursday, like, yeah, as I fell asleep Thursday night or was waking up Friday morning, you know, was that that friendship where I can be vulnerable and tell that guy anything uh, is more important than not than hiding this little white lie that has no consequence in the universe, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so, I, you know, I, I think it... The only reason I bring up that example is, is because there are those people that we aren't connected to, mm. it's important to either maintain or embrace because they have been flow, right? Those relationships can come and go. And, but when they're there, embrace them and realize how important they are for our spiritual life, for our creative life, and for just, just life in general. Yeah, yeah. Powerful, yeah. To be vulnerable that way, and then you know, and I don't understand 
There are others that just simply have a gift and it's not really vulnerability. They're not necessarily living creatively, but they are very creative people. And there seems to be a different, like the Beatles would definitely be that, right? Uh, you know, the, the most marketed band in the universe. I mean, Ringo, I don't know about the others. <laughs> I'm just joking. And I, yeah, and I don't know. I'm not saying they don't, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what I'm trying. What I'm saying is there's, there's a, there are those that are at a different level mm. where their creativity is separate from their lives uh, because they're just so good at it. Uh, I'm, I can't think. Well, of and so, yeah. So I, I mean, I think, I think the example that comes to, to my mind is like athletes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there was the campaign, the Gatorade campaign, want to be like Mike. Yeah, no, no I one's going to be like yeah. Michael Jordan. It's not going to happen. <laughs> the only way I could be like Mike is like what this commercial is saying is drink Gatorade. <laughs> and I don't even know if he drinks it. Right. He probably doesn't. <laughs> he bleeds it apparently in the commercial. It's coming out of his skin. <laughs> so, you know, so that I think that would be an example of someone that was so good at something, basketball. Yeah. And also ended up being a really good businessman. He turned dribbling a round ball and throwing it into a, a circle into a billion dollar enterprise yeah. for himself, right? Um, most people aren't going to Well, do he that. flew. <laughs> he well, literally flew. Yeah. I saw it with my own eyes. You can go on the YouTube and see it. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I think that's the... Yeah, yeah, There, are, there's those levels. Yeah. But I'm talking about just being, any, you know, an everyday person uh, and just being creatively you. There is no other you. Uh, and there, and there won't ever be. And so, uh, fill those shoes, yeah. you know? Well, and that's something personally, and I'm sure I've shared about it on here, but just, I have this grandiose idea of myself. Uh, it, it's common in, in alcoholics. We have this mm -hmm. very grandiose look at ourselves. And then we're also the worst person in the world. And wow. neither, neither of those outlooks are true, wow. right? It's somewhere in the middle. And so for the, I would say maybe even just since I've moved out here to desert rain, um, really wrestling with what you're saying as far as what is mine to do. Yeah. And it might not ever be recognized by anyone besides just the people I come in contact with. And that's okay because there's something inherently within me that I can bring to my everyday life that literally no one else can. Yeah. Um, and I don't have to monetize it, even though my ego keeps <laughs> like yeah. pushing it in that direction. Uh, I don't have to become Instagram famous for right. it, right? Even though do what you my... do what you love and are passionate about, and the money will follow. <laughs> no, it's not going to follow. And so, <laughs> um, and so, so there's, you know, I, I, it's kind of a trope of of. We're, you know, we're recording this January 8th. So this idea of like new year, new you has been floating around. Mm, yeah. But the way I've been embracing that is like, there's something within me I can give to the world. Yeah. There's a couple, you know, there's a couple of things that I know are part of that. Um, but within that, there's also this certain amount of discipline that I've got to uh, embrace in order to be able to do that. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest, uh, 
reminder of that. I think I've always known those things inherently on some level, but even just doing this podcast, like having to have that routine of us coming here just about every Saturday, setting up beforehand, recording, re-listening to it, sending it to the editor, you know, brainstorming with you over titles and pictures and everything else. It's like, uh, oh yeah, there's some discipline in that. Yeah, for sure. But I, I, I never saw it as that until just recently. Mm. Um, and so translating that to other areas of my life where this creative spark is kind of uh, burning or fluttering around yeah. or whatever. No, it's, yeah, it's this interplay between play and work. Mm. And I've seen it with my brother. My brother's a, an artist, a metal worker. Okay. And the guy will work 15, 16 straight hours on a piece and not, you know, and not even really be paid for it. You know, it's not, it's not like he's trying to stack them dollars. (laughs) (laughs) He's not getting overtime for those. He's just in that creative process. And he's always been that way. Uh, And it's not like he got up someday in his high school years and said, I, I need to be the best at what I do. That's not what he did at all. Uh, He just wanted to make swords. (laughs) Really? (laughs) That's how it started. Yeah, he had a, Interesting. The only 16-year-old I knew who had an anvil. <laughs> you know? I think he had two anvils. That's amazing. Uh, I didn't I didn't know that. I mean, I knew he did the metal work. Yeah, so he made himself artist. some chain mail in the in the 70s. Uh and yeah, and, and armor and other, you know, sword. Uh you know, and then he went to school for mm. metalworking. Uh like literally a degree in working with metal. And so, so yeah, so he'll, he'll go into that creative zone mm. or he'll work till on a piece, you know, until four in the morning kind of thing. And he's always been that way. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. It seems incredibly disciplined. There's no way I could ever do mm. something like that. Uh, but we all have it in us. Right? I've played a video game up not in my younger days. I could play a video game for hours and hours and hours, uh, read a book, that kind of thing. Um, not to, you know. Well, I, I think that's the other important part, kind of what you alluded to earlier, as far as um, this idea of embracing who you are, like getting to know who you are, or like what you're uniquely capable of, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, because uh, what would be a good example? I don't know. Well, Gene, Gene Wilder, we talked about him. Yeah, right? yeah. Like if he tried to be Michael Jordan before Michael Jordan, it wouldn't have worked out, right. right? Yeah. But he knew his acting ability, his comedic effect, yeah. all this. And so he, he took a different thing that he, he chased, exactly. right? And, and we're using very famous people because it's just easier to right. picture. Right, yeah, yeah. But for an everyday person like me and you, that holds true too. Yeah, yeah. There's there's different paths. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, and to take it even further, he's being. I don't. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about him, but I know enough. Uh, I guess the '60s, maybe the 1960s. He's being true to his art form. He's letting his art form be what it is, and it and it attracts like-minded mm-hmm. people. So he meets Mel Brooks, right? who was probably a pariah in his earlier days as a director. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, and then they made some of the funniest movies. Right. Classics now. Yeah. Young Frankenstein is a classic, right? Mm. I saw it in the theater. I was like seven, eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a, a very good, um, yeah, yeah, Richard Pryor too, right? He yeah. wasn't a mainstream, you know, he was an edgy comic, right? He was, Super edgy, he, was yeah. the, he was uh edgy before there was edgy, maybe Lenny Bruce before him and yeah, they were Diogenes in the in ancient Greece before that, <laughs> and Jesus of Nazareth. Because <laughs> the Beatitudes, that is some good Jewish uh stand-up <laughs> comedy right there. The Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> So um, I guess, so we, we got a little bit of time here, but as, as we're unfolding this with all these famous examples, right? And, yeah. and useful examples, I think. How, how would you uh, articulate that or boil that down to like someone, someone that's listening to this? Um, maybe they have some hobbies, you know, they have a, a job to support their, their family or what, you know what I mean? Maybe they're yeah, yeah. going through university and, and they're following sort of the safe track you know, my example, getting an accounting degree, right. even when I was like, oh, I'm not going to do accounting stuff. Yeah. Um, how would you boil that down of, of uh, you know, jumping into that creative side of things without necessarily, not saying, we're not saying ditch your lot, your current life. Right. And follow your dreams, right? That's the yeah. motivational poster. But like, yeah, follow your dreams, but in, you know, in a, a sustainable way. Yeah, you have to create a new relationship with those dreams. Mm. Uh, my dad is not I don't mean to brag on my family, but my dad is a great example of that. Uh, he knew his limits and he accepted those limits, mm. his athletic uh, abilities. Um, but instead of saying, well, <clears throat> uh, I'm not in double A baseball and I'll never be in major league baseball, so I'll just give up that dream completely. No, mm. he loved baseball. Uh, and so he played in leagues all around here in these parts. And, and when he even traveled for, to play, right? Oh yeah. 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 yeah Mexico and other, you know, I, I think we've talked about that too, about the extents, yeah. the extent that he, he followed that dream, even though it wasn't going to, you know, it wasn't like it was leading to a major league. No, contract. he wasn't trying to do that, but right. he, but he gave it the same energy that he would have. Okay. Uh, the, the, you know, it was, it was a big deal to him. You know, he was on a, several teams, but the one was the Los Gallos. Uh, and, 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 then, and then when his ability started to, to wane, then he, he pivoted into softball mm. and joined the merchants. And so… The El Paso merchants. Yeah, the El Paso merchants. <laughs> and uh, and, and other teams too, but of those course, were his course, two yeah. main teams. And then he couldn't do those anymore, so then he did senior games in his fifties and, and pivoted again to track and field. And I've never, he's never been an athlete that talks like the, the, the typical jock that you see in media, you know, uh, competitive. He's only competing against himself. Mm. Uh, he kept records on himself. It was, or, or the, uh, me and my friends like to call the uncle Rico syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. He's like living, reliving the glory days of high school. Yeah, he wasn't like he's the opposite of that. It's so crazy, you know. He had all these growing up uh, in our garage. There was uh, uh, you know, more than twenty race car uh, trophies that were his, and he would never talk about that. Do you have any kids with my br older brother's friends? You know, oh my god, tell us this. You know, right. and he wouldn't tell them stories. Interesting. He said, "Yeah, that's something I did." 
and he let it go. Right. He was very, he's very Taoistic about it. You know, he does the job and then lets go of the job, mm. does what he loves and then lets go of it. Right. And that's been a big, uh, uh, teaching point for me mm-hmm. in my life. And he doesn't say that what I just said, he's not even aware of that. He just is that. Right. And so, so yeah, he's not like he sat down, you know, and son, I'm going to teach you a thing or two, you know, no, the, the, the only time she's ever done that was just uh, get yourself some insurance, uh, you know, uh, go to the dentist, right. uh, take care of your vehicle. <laughs> you know, those are the only things that he ever uh, told me what to do, you know, uh, stay hydrated. <laughs> that was a big one. Well, I think that Actually, just as my mom <laughs> drink some water. And that's all I ever tell my daughter. I have no answers for her except that I just tell her, did you drink water today? <laughs> Well, I think that goes back to uh, when you when you meet those authentic people. Yeah. They, if you meet someone that's authentic, like if I meet someone and they're trying to explain to me how they're authentic, yeah, the the warning signal goes up, like, oh yeah, this person has no idea what they're talking about. Right. But if somebody is embodying authenticity, you just recognize it right away. Yeah. yeah. You're just you're you're. Uh, uh, it's, it does. There's no word, words. Couldn't you? Couldn't put words to it, even if you wanted. Yeah. To. Yeah. They. Yeah. They don't. They're not trying to be known in the group. You know, whatever social group you're in at that moment, they don't need you to know that they're the CEO of whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't. They don't need that at all. And so, uh, when the time comes for them to serve that group with however they can, they do it, and then they back uh, go back into the shadows. You know. I think that's the the power of a creative life mm-hmm. is to is to be that way and um, yeah it's a good it's not a it's a good way to live yeah yeah and so um, I, I I guess we've done this a, co- a handful of other episodes and I kind of put you on the spot but um, for someone that's trying to make new relationships with creativity. Um, what are some of the practices maybe that you you're aware of or that you've used yourself um, or maybe even like things you've read, you know, books you've read, things yeah. you've listened to, whatever that have, have uh, helped you uh, reorient yourself around this idea of creativity? Uh, I mean, for me, it's, it's, if you just show up to your life mm. and do that, I'm thinking of, uh, one of the founders of the community here, his name was Sal. He passed away a couple of years ago. He couldn't read or write. He was illiterate. Uh, at least he claimed he was. I think he could read a little more than he <laughs> let on. But he, but it, but that was a big deal in his life, uh, not being able to read and write. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what he would do is something would be happening. So so he had a complicated job. He worked at a at a at a Chevron. It was called Chevron at the time, mm-hmm. a smelter. And, uh, you know, it's a dangerous job. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so he showed up. He was present. So I, I would see him doing these things. He would sit there. He'd smoke his pipe and look at the problem of something mechanical mm. and stare at it and observe it and contemplate it. And then this creativity would arise and he would know how to to engage with it without looking up a manual or a YouTube video or because he simply showed up to it. So I think that's... That's a, a big thing. Um, 
And then just, yeah, the perfectionism is, is the, is the, is the big slayer of creativity. That, that's, uh, that's something that's killed me for sure. Yeah. In that room. So some of the, you know, the great writers, they just wrote all the time. That's what they did, you know. Uh, one of my favorite writing, stories. Writing and writing. And I don't, this might be one of those, you know, stories told once the person's famous or whatever. But uh, Hunter S. Thompson would get on his typewriter and type out uh, other people's work. Mm. And he, his reasoning behind it is because is he, what was it? I, want, I wanted to understand the flow of, of, the, of the writing or something like that. And so he would just type, he would read the book. And as he was reading, he would type it out. Wow. And he felt that somehow he was embodying Wow, what the author was doing yeah. the same the same thing. So he wasn't. So that's an example of, a, a, in my opinion, one of the greatest writers ever. Not even writing his own stuff, but there was still something about engaging and write. You know, yeah, putting yeah. ink on a piece of paper um, to learn more to to get a different perspective. Yeah, and and that fear of being copying, that that's a huge block for me mm. in writing. Oh, that's been said before. What is, you've got nothing to say. Everything's all been said before. So why are you even bothering to do this? And but a new th like well, with him. So here he is copying other people's style, uh, and then through that comes Gonzo journalism, which was kind of a new. It's a niche genre of of writing, right? And it still exists. Yeah, and it, and it's it's translated to other media. Yeah, exactly. So Gonzo podcasters, so, so it goes, yeah, documentarians, on and so forth. And so, yeah, and it has a whole philosophy behind it, and all came from copying. The Beatles again uh, were really just copying their idol, uh, Little Richard, mm. and and American, uh, what they used to call race music back back in those days in the forties, race music. Uh, but it was, you know, it was it was blues, what we'd call blues gospel, uh, and and they were just copying that but because they were themselves from liverpool england it it didn't seem like it was as copying as much although george harrison did get sued for uh copying uh, he's so fine by the chiffons <laughs> my sweet lord <laughs> but uh you know he, it, it, happens. it happens yeah but that's yeah so so not being afraid to do that to use training wheels so to speak uh and so, yeah, but it's a struggle that I have in writing. So is that insurmountable? You have nothing to say. Who are you? Uh, and so, yeah, I am saying, I am not saying anything new. I've ex I, I come to accept that. But no one has, but a me has never existed to say this. Right. So it's coming through a me filter. A different perspective. Yeah. And so, so, you know, and there might be two or three people that might read it and, I like it. Beautiful. So yeah. I think that's it. All right. Happy <laughs> happy day. <laughs> Here's to another cheers to another podcast. Yes, sir. Thank uh, you. thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh as always, monk drums in the background. Thank you, Jacob. Um uh, keep tuning in on Tuesdays uh for other episodes. Uh theruin.com for uh to learn more about Desert Rain community uh and uh either your your current podcatcher or drcr pod is where you can find other episodes 
of Dispatches from the Verge and Road to Desert Rain. We appreciate you.